Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I am joined by Rose Ferguson, functional medical practitioner and nutritionist known as the queen of the reset. Rose, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hi, nice to be here. I think this is a very timely conversation. I think summertime is often a time when people are busy and a little bit overwhelmed. We think of summertime sometimes as just being about having fun and letting our hair down. But I think for the majority of people, it involves juggling lots of things. They might be traveling more, kids are breaking up from school, different you know, work things. Yeah. Some people are out of office. There's lots of things going on. And I think often yeah, if we are having a good time and letting our hair down, that's great. But often that can involve, you know, lots of change in our lifestyle. Maybe we're sleeping less, maybe we're drinking more alcohol, all of these things. Um, so I feel like it's a very great time to be having this conversation with you. I've wanted to have this conversation for a very long time. So I'm excited to dive in. Okay, great. Me too. And what you've just said is so true about the summer. It's like summer's here. There's almost like pressure on the summer in the same way there's pressure on Christmas. Yeah, you know, it's like that time. It's like, okay, summer, I mean, it's got to be great. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. So firstly, I mentioned in my introduction, queen of the reset. So can we start off by telling us why typically we might need to reset in the first place? What's that all about? What are the kind of signs or signals or lifestyle factors that could mean that we need to pause and reset? And how can a reset help us? So I think there's, um, I think the thing, the thing about doing a reset, so I use a reset um, therapeutically when I do clinic um, and it's often, there are different ways of resetting someone. So if someone presents with very high inflammation, so, you, and you, you would be able to see that in the skin or if you're constantly congested or just feeling sluggish. So then I will do a reset and I'll you look at a very anti-inflammatory, very clean, I hate that word, but you know, a very like anti-inflammatory food plan to give the body a chance to just take a break from things that, that inflame it so um and i suppose that's looking more at the gut so the gut if we keep hitting the gut with something that's irritating it the gut will keep the immune system responds to that and when the immune system responds to that we feel symptoms like things like joint ache actually fatigue low energy because the body is working over time it doesn't understand um why it's being irritated it doesn't doesn't it doesn't distinguish between um like if you've been cut or if there's something irritating the gut all the time so something like high sugar alcohol you know the usual ones so then a reset is a really good way of giving the body a break from these irritations and letting it heal essentially so if you can imagine if you kept picking out a scab it doesn't heal mm. whereas if you leave it alone for a bit it will so i suppose that's one re one really that's one of the most usual ways that I would use a reset mm. um then there are slightly more targeted ones um you know there's the, the the detoxification type one which people get a little bit hot under the collar about and I understand because the, you know the, we're always detoxifying our liver is doing it all the day every second of every day it's dealing with whatever toxins get thrown at it 
And that doesn't just mean booze. I think people always think it's just booze or, but it's actually, we're surrounded by toxins all the time. Things that we never ever used to have to deal with, you know, pesticides, pollutants in the air, things in our water, things that you are, are actually out of our control on top of which we are very, we're more stressed than ever before. Life for a lot of us is very fast paced. Um, if you're taking things like medications, all that stuff, then giving the giving some support to the liver through a sort of more targeted liver reset can be really helpful because if our liver is sluggish, we will feel sluggish. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, so I think that's where, and I suppose signs and symptoms of when you could do with the reset are all the things I've just mentioned, fatigue, sluggishness, skin looking, you know, looking a bit gray, um, Joint pain is a big one, actually. You know, I've seen many, many clients in my time who have felt like they're getting arthritis. And actually, it's just because the immune, it's just because of inflammation, which has stemmed from the immune system being a, getting a bit jiggy with it. And actually, we need to just calm that down. Um, and just giving the body some nutrition and some love, actually, because we use our bodies like, you know, when people say you're nothing without your health, most of us, our bodies will take care of us for a long way and they will go through a lot with us and they will support us and take care of us until one day they don't. But the signs of them, the signs of the body struggling are there quite, uh, you know, like before. Mm. And like lack of sleep, things like that, you know. So so there are all these little low level symptoms which could be signs that we need to take a bit care of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many things then as you were talking, I didn't want to interrupt you. I was like nodding along. And (laughs) the first one was, you know, you mentioned then people get a bit hot under the collar when they hear this word detox. And so Mm. obviously, you know, you've been in the industry for a long time and I, Mm. so have I. If I think back to 10 or 15 years ago, you know, there were some probably, I suppose, claims and things that were quite extreme. And we we kind of have pendulumed away from that. And of course, in some way, that's good. But why do you think people get so... I don't know, why do you think it's so divisive now for us to talk about words like detox, even words like reset? You know, you'll get people saying, well, this isn't sustainable or, well, this Mm. isn't, you know, this is dangerous or, oh, this is irresponsible. And if you are, as you are, uh, an educated nutritionist, a medical practitioner, supporting and guiding people in a safe way, why do you think we've kind of pendulumed so far away from wanting to say, actually, you know, it's not the word extreme often gets used, but actually I think it's Mm. quite extreme all the things that you just listed living in a constant state of stress adrenaline cortisol you know toxins that we're sometimes choosing to take you know alcohol and wine and you know sugar and all these nice things but also yeah the pollutants in our environment like expecting our bodies to cope with that every single day would be I think is quite extreme so to take a rest from those things and to try to have yeah I guess some some I guess like the antidote to that maybe why do you think it is such a like divisive thing well I suppose the thing is that actually what you said is absolutely right it's like people think they can go out every Friday night and get absolutely smashed and then eat rubbish on a Saturday Sunday and then you know and then the idea of taking care of themselves feels a bit extreme but I suppose the thing is actually that the problem with resets and detoxes are that they can become part of a binge purge cycle Mm. and you know and I think people think of binge purge as you know for people who have bulimia which obviously is what bulimia is um you know the the characteristics of the illness of bulimia which is obviously extremely serious 
um, and horrendous for anybody suffering with that. But I do think, um, you know, if we look back to the 80s in yo-yo diets, resets can become part of that cycle. Right. And I do think that there has to be caution around using resets. So if you've got your Friday feeling and you go out and then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're doing green juice fast, that is a binge purge cycle. Sure. And and so, and so for a long time, I wrote a book called Juice a long time ago, and I didn't used to talk about juicing very often or juice fasting or anything like that because it is used irresponsibly and it's used as a quick fix and it's used as a crash diet is essentially. So that I do understand why people do get hot under the collar because people do use it as a crash diet and that is not how it should be used. It should be used. You know, if you're gonna have a reset or spend two weeks, you know, taking time out off alcohol and gluten and wheat and things like that and dairy, then it should be part of an overall sense of doing the right thing 80% of the time. Hmm. Yeah. And I, so I do really understand that. And I also understand that cutting out food groups, I mentioned gluten and wheat and dairy there. <clears throat> I, there is, I, my aim with all my clients is to get people to be able to eat whatever they want, whenever they want, and it to be fine. And there is often a, you know, when people react to certain foods, it's often a symptom that their gut is not work, it's not on point. Mm. So rather than cutting foods out right, left and centre and ending up with not very much, um, I my aim is always to try and get people, people's guts ready to digest anything. Yeah. Um, and, about, the, yeah. and the other things I suppose that's going to support that because you mentioned you know food is is one pillar so for example nutrition what we fuel our bodies and of course we all eat most of us eat every single day twice three times a day and so we have to choose what we're going to eat but all of the other things surrounding our immune systems and our nervous systems as you mentioned like sleep like stress I think it's sometimes harder to regulate and to reset those things so how can people yeah. look at the reset holistically and say, okay, whilst I'm going to focus for the next 10 days or the next five days or the next month, whatever it is, I'm going to focus on hydrating really well. I'm going to focus on nourishing my body with the right foods. How can they also apply that to, yeah, looking at the other things that could be impacting their nervous and immune systems? Yeah. I mean, that's a really, really great point actually, because it is not usually, I mean, food is uh, your fuel. It's literally what you fuel your body with. But also, if you're not absorbing it for whatever reason, then it doesn't, you can eat whatever you like. But if you're not absorbing it, and things like stress, cortisol, literally stop you digesting food properly because when you're stressed, your brain thinks there's something wrong. So your blood is in your brain and your limbs. So you can react fast, you can think fast. The place it is not is in your digestion. So, and stress, I would say, is one of the most tricky ones that I have to deal with in clinic because usually people are very stressed. Mm. When you tell them to take a deep breath, they literally roll their eyes at you because they're like, are you joking? I, you know, because they're working, they're moving really fast, they're thinking really fast. And actually what you need them to do is slow down. So that from a, you know, you know, the pillars that make someone feel well or work in a reset are things like movement, just you know, getting outside, usually it's really good to be in nature for stress. Take deep breath work is my big thing. Um, it is so crucial. And I think just from working with very, very stressed people, um, when I can get them to actually do it, I now I'm quite stern. I'm like, just listen, I don't care. I don't want to hear it. I just want you to do this. And I want you to, and I give them a time frame so that it doesn't feel like it's just, you know, I'm like, I just want you to focus for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, um, and just do this breath work for me 
um, it's the most effective tool that I, that they have. And because it's always with them, they don't need to take a pill. They, you know, it's not what they eat. It is, as you say, it's their, it's the way that they live and the way they help their body mitigate the stress. Mm. So breath work is really key. And it's more useful. I find it more successful than meditation, which is wonderful. But trying to get someone who's chronically stressed to meditate is um, challenging. Mm, yeah, I'm again, <laughs> nodding my head because I feel like the person you're describing, sadly, I feel like in recent weeks and months, I've been uh, becoming more of that myself. So, you know, I'm, I'm to be completely honest, you know, I have a yeah. busy life, I have a very colourful life, I have a blended family, I have different job commitments, I have different work deadlines, I'm travelling a lot. And on the outside, of course, sometimes it just all looks fun and I've got a lot of energy, but also I am that person that you described then mm-hmm. of being in this kind of quick 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 I sometimes think yeah. if you if I was a car I'm in fifth gear all the time and I think sometimes yeah. trying to bring it down into second gear or first gear even I find it so difficult and I find yeah. it kind of almost feels like uh and I'm sure a lot of the listeners probably feel this too it sounds nice to say slow down you know yeah. do a meditation do a breath work and last week actually I was away me and my husband were away in Greece and we were working and also having time off and resting. And I found it so difficult when I said to myself, right, this afternoon, I'm gonna do nothing. I'm gonna not look at emails. I'm not gonna look at my phone, um, you know, in this beautiful place, beautiful beach. I'm gonna try, I'm not even gonna read my book because that's what I normally do is like, oh, let me just get through three books. And I thought I'm gonna try and do nothing. And I really did find it difficult for lots of reasons because my brain, my body might be laying there doing nothing. But the way I described it to my husband was I said, I feel like my brain is constantly problem solving and trying to fit. Imagine like trying to do a Rubik's cube. Imagine Mm. trying to do that all the time. (laughs) It's exhausting. So then I was trying to, yeah, think maybe I'll do, you know, journaling or breath work. And it's, it's the doing something to solve the problem, which I think a lot of people are always trying to do something to solve this problem. So this is a little bit of an aside. It's not in my questions at all. But as you were talking then, I thought, gosh, Adrienne, you're becoming that person actually who, yeah, you might have, you know, you might have a nice nutritious breakfast in the morning, but if you're hundred miles an hour, it's not, it doesn't matter, does it really what you're eating? No, well, it really, I mean, obviously it's better than eating cocoa pops or <laughs> something like that. But, um, but yeah, because the body doesn't, the body's not rest and digest. I mean, it's literally called rest. The parasympathetic is literally called rest and digest. Yeah. But you know, but that's why why breath work is so good because if you were to take four deep breaths before you eat, it literally switches the body from the um, fight or flight sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous system rest and digest. So for everyone out there who's really stressed, just do four deep breaths before you start eating mm. and your body will be like, oh, okay, now we're eating and now we're digesting. Yeah, I think it's a very important reminder for myself. Yes. And it's not even just the word stress because you might not think of it as stress. As I said, sometimes I'm mm. doing loads of fun things and I'm busy and I don't think of it as stress, but in reality, yeah. I'm juggling a lot of plates and it does feel very busy. So back to my questions, something that you mentioned, I think you said the word fasting once and I'd, I'd prep to talk to you about this because fasting and intermittent fasting and time restricted eating, all of these things, they have gained a lot of popularity in recent years. I've, you know, I've listened to a lot of podcasts, I've read books, I've spoken to a lot of people who've said, you know, fasting uh, has got countless benefits and and you know everything from life longevity to managing chronic illness and again does feel like quite a divisive topic for some reason to decide that actually maybe we shouldn't be eating all day every day which feels quite you know excessive and abundant so from your perspective rose can you explain how fasting impacts the body and the mind and is it something that you recommend for your clients 
Yeah, so um, fasting is, and time-restricted eating, is just the shortening of your eating window. Now, um, the most successful, it's funny because actually I'm do, I've done my master's dissertation on on, on time-restricted eating, so I know quite a lot about it now, having looked at hundreds of research papers. Um, but anyway, the, the most successful timing, actually, because it's the most sustainable, the most doable, and so sustainable means you can keep doing it for, for a long time, so it's not like a... It's not like a faddy vibe to it. It's actually 12 hours of your eating window being 12 hours and having 12 hours off, which everyone thinks is oh so easy. But actually, when you actually think about it, how often do you have a little snack at night or a little glass of wine after 12 hours? So the 12 hours clear is really clear. We mean really clear. So you can have some water, you can have some herbal tea, but there's no, you know, I like it when people go, what about a latte? Like, mm, no. Yeah. So for example, <laughs> but, when you say 12 hours for someone listening, that could be 7pm till 7am. You're yes. not having anything except for water between 7pm and 7am as, as yes. an example, or eight and eight or nine and nine. Exactly. And if you do go out for dinner and you're out till midnight, then you just, you can, you can see if you can go till 12 o'clock the next day without having anything. Mm. Um, so, but so time restricted eating it is really popular, and I see clients, and I think it's really useful. It's very useful for, um, it's actually very useful for weight management, and that's also triggerish for people because talking about weight, but actually, you know, there are people who do struggle with their weight, um, and it's very useful for that. Um, it's also very useful for cogn- cognition. So it's really, it's been found to be really useful for that. The one thing it's also really helpful for is diabetes, and seeing as diabetes type two is epidemic then uh, time restricted eating is really helpful for that and the reason it's helpful for that even if you're having three meals a day in a 12-hour eating window is because you are giving your body time to rest the 12 hours you're not eating Mm. because part of the problem is that we are eating all the time so it's not even if we think we're doing three meals a day are you having something to eat in the middle probably Mm. you know so so it just means the body's working at digestion all the time um, and the body, it takes 50% of our energy to digest food. So if our body's doing that all the time, eventually the body doesn't really have time or the resources to digest all that food. And so you start to store it as fats. Mm-hmm. It also means that your blood sugar level is probably quite high all day long, which means your insulin level is quite high all day long. And it becomes less and less and less efficient until diabetes type 2 becomes, or you become pre-diabetic. Yeah. Um, so there are loads of benefits to it. There are the reason it probably gets people riled up is because again it can become like a binge purge cycle. And I have had people in my clinic who are very pleased with themselves because they've reduced their eating window to four hours or three hours. You know, which means that they're only eating for that period of time during the day. Which means that you're you're not fueling your body. Yeah. You you know your poor body is like I've got to do. It's not even about going to the gym. Your body has to do stuff all day you know 24 hours a day the the kidneys are working the liver's working the heart is pumping you're breathing all the stuff you know they those organs need fuel and so if you're not fueling for 20 hours a day it can be very stressful for the body and actually it reduces your health span your longevity it's been found Hmm. i don't know if that answered your question or if i went off on a bit of a tangent but no it did it was great and i also was surprised honestly when you said 12 hours because i thought you were going to say something longer like 15 or 16 and i think 12 is so you know not every single day as you said sometimes you might go out for a late meal or you might have an early start but i think for the majority of people i think 12 hours is very achievable very attainable and i think when we focus on health you know i am someone who i'm very 
conscious of all the things that that when I think about health I think about within my family tree you know I think about dementia I think about cancer I'm not thinking about my you know waistline or you know how defined or toned my arms are I'm thinking about the whole picture and I think that's where you know when we said this you know the, the backlash or the divisiveness about oh you know 12 hours and fasting and this and that I'm like look at the look at the evidence look at the literature yeah. look at the health span lifespan conversation and consider is this something that is going to help me live a healthier, longer life, free from pain, free from chronic disease, with cognitive function? And those things might sound boring, you know, like, oh, okay, I'm mm-hmm. 25. I don't want to think about my grandma's dementia, but I'm someone who's 35. And as I said, in my family tree, there's dement- Alzheimer's dementia, there's type two diabetes, there's cancers. And as you said, these things don't just they don't they feel like they happen overnight but they don't the signs the symptoms the lifestyle it takes years and then it's almost sadly too little too late yeah so with that in mind let's talk about this lifespan health span and and what what that really is and what the difference is so the way i think about it is lifespan is the number of years that we live so from Mm -hmm. birth to death and health span is the number of years that we live well that we live without chronic illness pain debilitating disease and so I want to be able to as someone who's very active and loves to travel I want to be able to hike I want to be able to you know carry my suitcase onto a plane I want to be able to dance I want to be able to cook I want to be able to do these things hopefully for as long as I am living I don't want the last like 10 15 maybe even 20 years of my life to to not be able to do those things so over to you, Rose. What, when it comes to health span, lifespan, what are the practical tips that you could offer us um, with your experience for anyone who's interested in improving their overall health span and their lifespan as well? Okay, well, because um, it's true, everything you said, that's exactly right. And I think, do you know where there's a really good place to look at for anyone who's interested are blue zones? So blue zones are these places on the planet where there are centenarians, an, an unusual amount of centenarians, so people who are over 100 living. There's only about five, I think, Italy, Croatia, no, not Croatia, Costa Rica, Japan. Anyway, there's about five of them. California, I think, this one. And um, when you look at the combination of factors that that influence that, it's really interesting because, yes, it's food. They they eat, not intentionally, but a very organic lifestyle. So it's not that they're going to the supermarket and buying organic in a plastic bag. It's just because they grow their own food, you know, and obviously not all of us are able to live like this. But it's interesting to know, I think. Um, So, you know, so it's very fresh food, quite a lot of fish, a very small amount of meat, vegetable. I mean, it's quite a Mediterranean diet, I suppose. You know, lots of vegetables, good fats, olive oil. Um, And then, and they do drink alcohol for all of you whinies out there. See, I didn't say winos, whinies. (laughs) And, um, but the interesting thing about things that affect our health span are things like movement and the way we move. So this, I think, is, gives people a a little bit of hope if they're not into going to the gym, if they don't have time to go to the gym, is functional movement. So if you clean your house, if you're an avid hooverer or mopper or duster, then that is functional movement. You are moving your body. So when you're doing it, rather than just sort of going, oh, think about it like, okay, I'm going to do a little bit of movement now. It counts. And actually, we know that if you do it mindfully and think of it as a bit of exercise, it has the brain, it has more impact than if you just do it without thinking about it. So functional movement is really important. Walk up the stairs, get off the, you know, the bus to stop early, you know, just incorporate it into your day is a really, really key thing to keep moving. The other thing is community. And I think this is a really, it's lovely, but it's also a really 
um, absent factor nowadays is that community being part of a community reaching out to help other people and other people reaching out to help you has a huge impact in our health span psychologically but also physically loneliness has been shown to be one of the biggest uh, red flags or biggest um, adverse effects on on long-term health Mm -hmm. on chronic illness Um, and so I think that's really important Um, and so those are the sort of things and food wise I'd stick with the 80-20 rule you know but fresh is best Mm-hmm. The less chemicals you're putting in, the better. Mm, yeah. Recently did an episode for anyone who wants to dive more into ultra-processed food. That was with yeah. Chris Tolican, and uh, yeah. he's written the book Ultra-Processed People. And, yeah, it's a fascinating episode. Lots of people reached out after that saying, oh, my gosh, because, yeah, so much of the foods mm-hmm. that we eat, we don't realise they're ultra-processed now. I think we think that they yeah. might be, you know, kind of good for us because it's got a picture of, I don't know, a field on the front or some an apple or something. Mm-hmm. But in reality, a lot of the foods that we eat, if we're opening them out of a packet, they are probably ultra-processed and they probably contain a lot of things that are doing things to the gut and to the brain that we would have, we never would eat those things. We wouldn't give them to our children. We probably wouldn't give them to our pets. And yet we're eating those. So mm-hmm. check Don't get out. Don't started on the plant food. Yeah. Plant well, food business. Check Absolutely. out that episode if you're interested yes. in hearing more about that. I want to double click on what you said then about community because yeah. I also, yes, I read um, Ikigai. I think that's one of the books that talks about the Japanese longevity talks about centenarians and talks about this idea of community and purposefulness so in that book it really explains how yeah these people that live over 100 many of them they don't they don't have a word in their community for retire which i thought was very interesting because once they finish the the work that they're doing at whatever age they then take on a different role in the community so they might be part of i don't know a community gardening center they might be taking care of Mm. younger children they might be doing a different kind of work but they never feel as though they have no work to do Mm. so that idea of purposefulness waking up every day with something to contribute towards and being a part of that community is one of the reasons that it lists for them in that in that okinawa community of of living longer now the problem that we face as you said many people are experiencing loneliness many young people are experiencing loneliness from teenage right through to early 20s late 20s and I think that it's easy to point the finger at social media and people say oh it's because we've got smartphones and people just whatsapp each other and they don't meet but what can we actually do about it you know you're someone who has young children you sorry you have older children I have young children you have three older children so teenage years and 20s I have younger children and yeah I don't know as a, as from your I guess perspective and as a mother like how do you what can we do about it? Because we're not going to live in Japan and suddenly live in this community and go out and be gardeners. So what can we do to change this and make our to to make community more present in our lives? Yeah, that's. I mean, it is interesting and it's funny, isn't it? Because social media for a lot of people is their community. So on a positive front, there. But I suppose it depends how meaningful that community is. But I know from because I do have older kids that they are always in touch with their friends which could be seen as a positive thing. Um, I suppose within my household from my personal level is that I always, I'm quite demanding about making sure we all eat together. So, you know, so that sense, and also there's a community vibe. I mean, the amount of times I've said this house is not a hotel, it is a, it's basically a commune now that you're old enough and I need you to contribute to the community of this house. So on a very small, you know, on a very family level, that is this house does feel like a community well sometimes it's meant to feel like a community where everyone contributes and I do expect them and we have conversations you know so I think if you are concerned about a child of yours then I think eating together is a really good time to 
you know, to have conversations and to bond. Mm. That doesn't sound too insipid. The other thing is, I mean, I cannot get my kids. I live in the middle of a field. I cannot get my kids to go out for a walk with me. But another area where we do commune is when we, if I'm running errands and they're in the car, they're not on their phone. We have really good conversations at that time. So I suppose it's fine. If you're concerned about a child, I'd say it's about finding a time that doesn't feel like, right, now we're going to sit down and talk. I mean, you know, I'm not a parenting expert, but I do know that that in my world works quite well. It's just finding times that aren't too pressured where we just all commune, literally. Yeah, no, I think that's great in the car, definitely. I I do make our kids go out for walks. In fact, we went for one yesterday. And good I always, for you. Well, like, God, you say that. The first half is always good. The second half tends to go in the same pattern every time of, you know, someone's complaining or oh. someone's got a scratch on their knee and now it's the end. You know, it's almost like yeah. I say it every time. I'm like, we are going for a walk. It's probably going to be about 45 minutes. We live in a lovely place where there's lots of green fields and there's trees and there's woods and you can pick up sticks and you can run. And I don't want to hear the complaining. I'm not going to carry you. I'm not, sometimes it's like, I need, I'm thirsty. I need oh. water. As if we're literally in the Sahara Desert. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I'm like, well, then you better walk a little bit quicker because when we get home, you can fill up that bottle. And it's just, you know, uh, yeah, obviously I'm trying it. Like I said, they're younger. So I'm not sure how long that will last before they tell me like, nah, I'm not coming with you. But I do oh. think it's important that even if they're, you know, whatever age your children are, and I'm not a parenting expert either, but I think, putting that effort in and kind of making yeah. it a bit of a non-negotiable that becomes a part of your routine if it's like every Saturday morning or every Sunday whatever okay. it is then people just kind of I don't know eventually I'm hoping that they're just going to accept that you know what in this house <laughs> she makes us go out for a walk yeah. because half of the time before the complaining starts they do have fun and I do yeah. see them you know if for example they love to do quizzes when we go for a walk so it'll be like right we're going to do a general knowledge quiz which usually involves questions about harry potter questions <laughs> about ninjago but it's nice because it's like okay cool let me go into your world and we're talking about harry potter so yeah again well yeah i mean that's the other thing i was going to say actually is that sometimes it, it actually now i think about it it's like you kind of have to hold my hands up too and say it's because i work a lot mm. and actually so it's not just the kids being not into it sometimes i have to remind you know I have to give my time too. And you're right, you sort of have to step into their world because otherwise I'm like, yeah, 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 in a minute, in a minute, in a minute. And actually it's not just the kids. I have to take the time too. My husband has to take the time as well. So, um, you know, it's a it's a group commitment, which mm. I think, yeah, you know, if you can find a way or somewhere that works for your household, then that can be really helpful. Yeah, no, I think it's it's a constant challenge. And as I said, your children are older than mine. So well, I think I gave up on walking years ago. <laughs> I'm obviously such a wuss as that I just can't I can't be bothered with the arguing with <laughs> I know it. can you carry my scooter can you carry yeah exactly uh, and we're about to go into the six week summer holidays Woo-hoo! yay <laughs> it's like it's slightly different for me now but I can I feel your um joy about that (laughs) yeah well I have a lot of energy so hopefully they'll be able to keep up with me okay so going back to my questions about health span and lifespan if someone's listening to this and they're thinking okay community I'm gonna try to you know focus a little bit more on that other things that you mentioned were other things you mentioned about Mediterranean diet so again Mm. we might have heard this before but what's the kind of I guess 101 or the or the basics um about the Mediterranean diet what is it about because I like the fact you said you know you can have a glass of wine. It's not this really restrictive thing that, because I've heard some, you know, conversations around longevity saying that actually the best diet is very, very strict and it's very low calorie. And, and that actually, as much as people don't want to hear it, the people that 
potentially live the longest, it might be due to, yeah, this low inflammation, low calorie diet. But what's the Mediterranean Mm -hmm. diet sounds a lot more appealing to me. Yeah, so low calorie or calorie restricted is um, very, the science does show that it's useful for cognition. It does. But by calorie restriction, uh, the problem is that the term calorie restriction has got the word restriction in it. And, um, but I actually think if people ate a Mediterranean diet, which is just fresh, you know, loads of veg, a bit of fish, some good quality meat, you know, a glass of wine. If you want a glass of wine twice or three times a week, you know, I mean, come on. I mean, we're, we live in England. The British culture around drinking is very yeah. far from the Mediterranean. But, you know, a bit of sensible alcoholic taking uh, drinking. Um, then I think you would find your calorie levels or calorie uh, intake is much reduced anyway. Because if you take out all the crap that people eat, if you take out the sweets, the chocolate, the crisps, if you take out all that stuff, for the majority of it, I think, you know, the 80 20 is a very good rule to live by, then you would be eating probably less calories than we than people normally eat. But so, um, there, I mean, there are things around, if, as you're talking about extreme diets, the ketogenic diet or the carnivore diet, all those things. There's not, the carnivore diet hasn't been tested for 30 years. The Mediterranean diet has. We know that the Mediterranean diet works for most people because you are having diversity. It's great for the gut. It's great for inflammation. Um, And so while calorie restricted or something more extreme, like Mm. a carnivore diet has shown some benefits, there, you know, the long-term studies of, especially the carnivore diet and things like that, or the keto diet, aren't there yet. Mm. Um, and a keto diet, we uh, one thing, just as a caveat, we do eat way too many carbohydrates. So, you know, people have toast for breakfast, sandwiches for lunch, pasta for dinner. We do not need to eat that many carbohydrates. We really don't. And in a Mediterranean diet, people don't eat that many carbohydrates. You know, so I think if you're thinking of a plate that's got over half of vegetables, you know, rainbow colored veg, not fries, um, (laughs) and you're eating a good quality protein, and whether that's a vegetarian protein, they eat lots of legumes and pulses in the Mediterranean diet. And like I say, I think meat is a very useful food source. Mm. I just think we, you know, eating rubbish meat that's full of antibiotics is not good for sustainability of the planet. It's Mm. not good for the animal welfare. And it's not good for us. So have eat meat two or three times a week and buy really, really great quality meat. It has a lot of health benefits, meat. And I'm, <clears throat> I eat everything. I live in a house where my husband was vegan for a long time. He's vegetarian. One of my children is vegetarian. I am actually very pro a little bit of meat. Um, but yeah, the carbohydrate thing, we don't need to eat as much carbohydrate as mm. we do. Um, and if we are going to eat carbohydrate... You know, you should be eating, you get it from nuts and seeds, you get it from sweet potatoes, you can get it from, you know, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's just yeah, we again, eat the, so I'm... many that that's why carbohydrates, um, and I don't think it's about cutting them out completely, but you can do a healthy ketogenic slanted way of living, which is mm-hmm. more based on protein and vegetables. Yeah, and as you <laughs> mentioned, those things are all, again, not ultra processed because often when people talk about carbs and they demonize carbs it's not the carbohydrate factor necessarily as you said if you're eating sweet potatoes if you're eating bulgur wheat or even you know brown rice i think for the majority of people when they say oh i'm cutting out carbs suddenly they just realize they're cutting out ultra processed packaged or you know highly processed foods as opposed to the carbs themselves which i think yeah they just kind of all get bundled in with 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 that name my last question on this kind of mediterranean diet and and you said that you know things like the keto or the carnivore diet 
haven't really been looked at from a scientific perspective for years. What's the, I suppose, are there some differences before men and for women? Because often when we see claims or headlines, I often think, well, is this, does this apply to both? Because we know that male and female bodies, hormones, all these things are very different. And we didn't actually talk about this in fasting, but sometimes people are like, well, yeah, it works for men. But actually, if you are tracking your cycle and you're looking at your hormone fluctuation, there's things that for women would be completely different. So if it comes when it comes to the uh, Mediterranean diet, is it more advantageous for, for women or for men or is it quite similar? I think it works across the board um, for for everyone because it is just a very, it's a very, that dreadful term, well balanced. You know, it's a bit of everything. Um, time-restricted eating, actually, and intermittent fasting, there hasn't really been anything. People say this about men and women, but there hasn't been any um, concrete evidence to say that it's better for one or the other. Um <clears throat> There is something to be said for stress. If you're a very high-stressed person, uh, time-restricted eating can compound that stress because if you're finding it mm. difficult to reduce your window, um, then it can make you more stressed. So that's not beneficial. Um, and, yeah, so I. But for men and women, a Mediterranean diet would be good for both of them. Mm. I think you have to be a bit careful as a woman, I suppose, in the luteal phase, the second phase of your... Um, of your cycle you want to make sure it's got enough nutrients for the liver to do its thing and, and help get the estrogens out and you know the progesterone so i would say that you need to make sure you're having lots of nice cruciferous veggies in that mm. stage of your cycle um but the good thing about mediterranean is it is a very well balanced it's not extreme in any way um and so yeah it's good mm. for both men and women and a question that I've asked to quite a few people on this show, and I get different answers when it comes to asking the experts. Ooh. When If someone's listening to this and they're thinking, I actually have no idea. So I just don't know whether, for example, they might think I'm exercising quite well. I sleep quite well. I think my diet's quite balanced, but actually I have no idea when it comes to what's going on inside my own body because I've never been tested for things like uh, I don't know, my iron levels, for example, or uh, my liver function or gluten sensitivity. I've never tested these things. I don't really know. And I just try what works for me. Is that fine? Or would you say as a practitioner, okay, the best way to find out is to do some testing, whether that's a blood test, a gut test, a saliva test, there's all these different tests we can do. Mm. Or are they kind of, some people would say they're quite commercially gimmicky. We don't need to be sending off our stool samples and saliva samples and getting all this stuff. Actually, we don't need it. And other people are saying, absolutely, do this test, this test, this test, this test. So where do you sit when it comes to testing ourselves, taking what I would call like ownership or being empowered to say, I'm looking at my stats and therefore I know I need X, Y, and Z? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, functional medicines, the functional medicine world love a test, but A, they're expensive. And also, unless you've got someone who knows what they're talking about interpreting those tests, then I think they're very confusing to lots of people. And you're suddenly given all this information, um, especially if, say, you did a blood, full blood workup and a, a comprehensive stool test, and you get all this information, and, you know, you're not going to know it's taken me years to know what all the different microbes are, what all the different blood markers are, and then to link them all together to give you an overall picture. Because there's no point in saying, oh, well, my ferritin's low, but my vitamin C status is, is, is okay. You know, it's like they all work together. So something like, I don't know, some liver markers, it doesn't mean your liver's not okay. It just means there's quite a lot of inflammation in the body. <clears throat> so I think that, and you know, and there's a lot of information you can get your mitts on but do you understand it or does it scare the hell out of you and then make you a worried well? Mm -hmm. You know, so 
I my thing would be I think there are markers in age where I would go and have a full work, a check you know just go and check so I think probably around 40 it's worth going to have a checkup you know and then talking about resets I think thinking about taking care of the gut once a year is a really good thing to do like really focusing on that doing some sort of protocol that is really focused on the gut once a year and I think probably the liver as well you know that's what I would say but I think if you're feeling well do you know the thing that I would say is that people think they feel well and when you start asking them it's amazing what we're amazing as I say the human is amazing the human body is amazing we learn to live with stuff and so when you ask someone they suddenly go oh yeah my hips ache and yeah they've been aching oh yeah I can't remember when they didn't ache yeah and actually we shouldn't have aching hips we shouldn't have headaches three times a week we shouldn't have flaking skin we shouldn't you know so it, you know i suppose that's the, the other thing i'd say is just check in and go hmm this is that normal is that nothing or is it something that could be improved yes i hear that i think it's this tolerance isn't it we've become yeah. very tolerant i yeah mm. in, in my work i speak to a lot of people and ask these kind of questions yes. around their well-being and their energy and i often ask people you know do they feel as though they wake up with um, energy you know the kind of energy they want to have the kind of energy they think they used to have and people laugh They're, they say to me the last time I woke up with energy I was 12 you know? yes exactly and they laugh but it's become yeah we've come become acceptant and tolerant to saying exactly as you said oh I, you know I wake up with a headache and I have a coffee or I feel exhausted by 3 p.m. and I have another coffee yeah. or as you said I might some people say to me oh I'm so bloated that I can't really do up my trousers in the afternoon I have uncomfortable bloating every day and then when you mm -hmm. say to them why they're like well I don't know it's life you know it's <laughs> it's been, I've always been like that exactly <laughs> and we just think that it's totally fine to to suffer basically yeah. and of course we can't live in you know an ideal perfect romanticized scenario where we all wake up and do meditation and grow our own vegetables mm -hmm. I live in the real world World, but mm -hmm. I also don't think that it's I just don't think that it's good for us to have this mentality that we're just we can just soldier on continue on yeah. and suffer you know and just get on with it because we don't want to complain mm -hmm. and ultimately we all have limits and we can't yeah. do that forever and sadly yeah. when when something you know more serious happens and stops you that's when we go oh gosh you know whether it's extreme mm -hmm. burnout whether it's you know a real a real medical problem or, or a cancer or a heart attack or something like that that's when I think people then go oh gosh actually yeah those signs 10 years they've been living with stress mm. or pain or, or something like that so if you are listening to this I never want to like doom and gloom people I want people to hopefully feel you know like optimistic and motivated to make small changes now to yeah. think about yeah as you mentioned earlier on in in the conversation about the the love element the care element the yeah. rest element that actually it isn't a luxury or an exp it doesn't have to be an expensive thing it can be something that you choose to do every single day because you want to take care of your own body yeah and actually the word empowerment i i something that i take very seriously with my patients is um explaining why i'm doing something explaining why we're doing it how we're doing it and so that when they feel any signs in the future they 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 have a bit more knowledge about how their body works and when we do something what helped them and so that it's not because that's something that really drives me mad about wellness and what i do is that it's like people don't know people feel like they have no control over it that they have there's this whole wellness industry telling them what to do but actually the more you learn about what works for your body the braver you'll feel the more confident you'll feel and it's not rocket science you know there are okay there are complex cases which need complex protocols but on the whole to keep well and um, just having a bit of understanding and education around that I think is really key and it should be what people are doing but I feel like people make lots of money out of not 
explaining sometimes. Yeah, that's true. And of course, we all know, but it's true. We live in a capitalist um, and commercial world where we're told to buy products. And I've talked about this before. I would be a hypocrite if I said that I don't like to buy those products because I do. I'm somebody who loves to buy a serum. I love to buy a candle. (laughs) I don't think those things are going to make me live healthier and longer, but I still buy them because I like them. they probably make you feel good. They probably make you feel happy, which is a good thing. You know, like that sort of, that dopamine hit is a really nice thing. But I suppose I mean supplements and things. It's like actually find out if you need that stuff. Supplements are amazing. But, you know, these sort of sweeping statements about this supplement's going to do whatever, it might not be what you need. And I see people with hundreds of pounds worth of supplements that aren't quite right for them. Yeah. And if you're not doing the fundamentals, so for example, if you're taking all the supplements and you're getting five hours sleep every night, then people get yeah frustrated. But well, I'm taking all these supplements. Why am I not glowing? And it's like, well, (laughs) you might need a bit more sleep. And that's that's the thing you can do for free. So speaking of sleep, let's talk about the Power Hour. This is the Power Hour podcast. Um, Many of the listeners will know that I am an early bird and it's not necessarily that I encourage everyone to be, but I do encourage people to reflect and take a moment, look at their uh, first hour of every day, look at how they spend that time, what they choose to focus on, what they choose to avoid. And I ask every guest to tell us about their first hour or their power hour. So Rose, what does the first hour of your day typically include? So I'm an early bird too, and I love being an early bird, um, unless I've been out on the night before, in which case I'm a really late bird. But in general, I'm a really early bird. So I usually wake up around six. Um, I put an alarm on for 7.30 every day, but I always wake up around 6 or even 5.30. And I get up and it's really, it's my favourite hour of the day. It's my absolute favourite hour of the day. And when my husband wakes up at the same time, it really annoys me because that is my hour. And so, and I have an hour. So what I do, so what do I do? I wake up, I make a cup of tea. I make herbal tea. I make my flask. I always have my flask with me. Uh, a flask of green tea. And um, what I try to do is I try to journal um, because journaling for me is really helpful at just acknowledging where I'm at that day, um, not letting things, things don't fester if I if I write about them in the morning. Um, it's not a, like a to-do list. It's just, and sometimes it's really stupid, you know, sometimes it's like, what to do, I feel fine. But it does just, it just gives me a second to think about where I'm at that day. Um, I will try and do breath work every every morning. Then I then I will look at my emails, just scan them, see if there's anything. And then I usually try and do a bit of exercise. Now, for me, at the moment, I don't have time to do an hour of exercise. Or I keep thinking, in my diary, I've got go-to gym every day. <laughs> I never go to the gym. Okay. So I try and do 20 minutes of something, because 20 minutes I can do. Mm. I've worked, you know, and 20 minutes make me feel good. Then I'll have a shower and I will finish on a cold shower. Um, I might start on a cold shower if I'm feeling really brave, but usually I start on a hot shower and then a cold shower and then I get dressed and then I feel ready for my day. 
Mm. And I love that. At first hour is great. And then I'll have a matcha, actually. Okay. Uh, an actual matcha. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, and then I'll have my breakfast, but that's probably outside of the hour by then. Yeah. But yeah, that's my first hour of the day and it's quiet. And if I can do that, I feel like I've got my shit together and I'm ready for the day. Yeah. And I, cool. I really love it. Yeah, well, it sounds, yeah, it does sound like when you list it, like, oh, that's a lot of things. But actually, I think when things become a habit, when they become second nature, when it's just like cleaning your teeth or feeding your cat, you know, getting, doing that 20 minutes of movement, as you said, getting mm. in the shower and turning it to cold, I'm sure that's probably become a habit. So yeah. for someone new to who's just said, okay, I've just listened to this podcast all about the benefits of cold water therapy, and I'm going to give it a go, <clears throat> initially, there there's a choice element so there's a decision making which says okay i have to have a cold shower today but if you do that for long enough and the jury's out on how long that takes whether it's five days 30 days 100 days habits it's all different however i think what you just described then was like i do this i do this i do this so i don't suppose now you'd correct me if i'm wrong i don't suppose now there's much of a decision making element to it it's probably a bit more autonomous now yeah it is and actually i mean I just do it and I really enjoy it. So actually, I think the thing is for something to become a habit, you have to find some enjoyment out of it. And actually the cold shower aspect, because I'm a huge fan of cold water therapy and hot therapy actually, but it's don't don't make it so awful that you won't do it. So if you can only take a tepid shower, do a tepid shower. Or if you want to do a, you know, a cold shower for just a second, just do that because you A, get tolerant to the cold, um, and then you also get really into the way that it makes you feel. <laughs> so um, I don't think, I think just trying to do small things. The breath, I'll tell you what I found really hard and I would have put meditation in there, but I find meditation tricky. So when I meditate later in the day, usually if I'm having a very difficult day, I will meditate because I need, I know it's a really great tool to give me a bit of perspective on whatever's causing me, you know, difficulty. But the breath work thing is, it took a while to get it in there because it is a bit vague. But actually, if I just sit and close my eyes, and I only need to do it for a few minutes, it really just, I just, it feels like I've been, it's like renewal. renewal. I literally open my eyes and I'm smiling. Mm. Um, and I know that sounds really sort of like, oh, idealistic, but I would suggest to anybody to try it because as I say, it's one of the most useful things that I use with my clients. Um, and you can use, I use it throughout the day, but I definitely do it in the morning, so... Yeah, I think just trying new things, like you say, you have to make, you, that's what I say. So I'd say commit to doing something for three weeks. Just say, I'm going to just mm. do it for three weeks and see how, if it, if it positively affects you, and then you're more likely to carry on doing it. Yeah, I like that. Commit for three weeks, try something new. And we said at the start, you know, summertime can be a challenge, but it can also yes. be a bit of an opportunity to, you know, if things are out of, I guess, routine anyway, things like work and school and travel, then actually probably the best time to try something new and actually see, okay, yeah, like you said, the word commitment. You can't try it once or twice and say, mm. oh, I didn't work for me, Adrian. tried that. Actually, yeah, try for the whole of August, for example, and say, yeah. how, how do I feel at the end of August? And maybe take a note as well, like, you know, write it down. Like, how do you yeah. feel before, during and after? That's always yeah. quite helpful. I'm someone, you know, you said you enjoy the cold water. I really, really don't enjoy the cold water. I know the benefits and I know I feel good yeah. afterwards, but I have to be, I'll be honest, I have to be either in a hot country where I yeah. just want to cool down or I have to have done quite high intensity exercise. So my body's hot, I'm sweating and then I'll do the cold shower thing. But to just go from my 
regular state for example in the mornings just straight into cold water i'm so, i feel as though i'm so almost hypersensitive to it that yeah. it almost like I'm, I'm like is this having an adverse effect because i'm standing here Creating my shoulders feel yeah my shoulders feel <laughs> tense i'm trying to breathe through my nose but i'm hating it and i almost feel like i don't i always say to people you know yeah of course find things that you enjoy challenge yourself but also don't do something that makes you almost like punishment you know I don't yeah. want to feel like okay it's it's six in the morning and I'm already punishing myself like I want to yeah. just be like you know what forget it but when I'm away in Greece and it's 32 degrees oh give me the cold shower yeah, I'll do it then <laughs> but it's so true and the thing about punishment is and this goes back also to time restricted eating and any eating plan is if you feel like you're punishing yourself it's not going to sustain you're not it's not sustainable and let yourself off the hook you know, I think this goes, you know, so there are days when having a cold shower doesn't seem that appealing. So I don't do it. You know, there's no, I think rigidity and rigid and restriction are two words that you should raise from your like thought process. Um, you know, it should. It's not obviously a little bit of self-discipline is required. Otherwise, we'd all be eating donuts. Actually, I wouldn't eat donuts. But, you know, um, there is a bit of we, you know, there's a bit of self-discipline required. But as you say, he doesn't want to feel punishing. And, you know, the thing with the cold water therapy is some people do really well with hot and then cold for 10, 10 seconds, hot and then cold for 10 seconds. But as I say, it doesn't have to be ice cold to start with. It can, you know, just do it as, as cold as you can manage and see how you get on. And like you yeah. say, do it for August and then try something new for august and yes. please let us know let us know what yes. you're trying let us know how it goes where can people follow you rose where can they find out more detailed information if they wanted to actually do one of your reset programs um well i do have a website but the website's being rebuilt at the moment so that won't be until september but that's roseferguson.com and um you can find me on instagram at rosemaryferguson underscore that's where i'm doing something in august on so i do some on I do some on Instagram and then there are some that are more guided that are done by Zoom. And actually talking about community, the brilliant thing about the Zoom ones are the groups that get formed. We do WhatsApp group or Facebook groups for each plan and they chat to each other. They continue to chat to each other a year after the thing and they support each other. And actually that community spirit is fantastic for those people. And I, and that brings me so much joy. I love it. I love looking at their chats. Um, you know, but they're really supportive of each other. So yeah, so that's that's how I do it. Great, thank you so much. Well, we will leave a link to the new website for September in the show notes. And as always, thank you to, for giving us your time, your insight, your wisdom. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And as always, everyone, thanks for tuning in. I will be back next week with another episode. See ya. Bye.